everybody. Today we have a guest with us that I am very excited for. He's the man behind Silver Shamrock Publishing, Ken McKinley. And Hello. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough. Join here with my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Please tell me I did not fuck that last name up again. You did, but that's okay. No worries. <laughs> okay. You'll, you'll eventually get it. I don't drink often, but I'm drinking uh, my favorite ale, Dead Guy Ale Rogue. Uh, Dead Guy Ale. It's by Rogue. I don't know if either one of you have heard it. No, first time. No, it's is that pretty... a New Jersey thing? No, it's actually from Oregon, so maybe Shane's heard about it. But um, oh, Shane would kick your ass for saying Oregon, man. It's Oregon. Oh, right, my Those bad. West Coast people—they won't let you—they won't let you, they won't let you uh, get away with that. The Oregon Trail. Yeah. So um, it, it's from that state, and it's—it just tastes like a nail. So there's nothing special about it. What about you, Ken? What are you drinking? I am drinking a. Sh- it's from Shorts Brewing Company out of Michigan. Um, this is called a Bel Air Brown. It's a classic American brown ale. Oh, you're a nail guy, too. I am a nail guy. I like it. Uh, what about you, Brian? I've got a uh, Hog Island White Shark Wheat. It's actually from uh, Orleans on the Cape. <laughs> oh, uh, wait. Did you say Orleans or you're talking about Orleans in Massachusetts? Cape yeah, Cod. yeah, not in not Louisiana on the Cape, on Cape Cod. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so... Actually, we wanted to jump back to before Silver Shamrock started, before, um, what was it, Horror Aficionados? Yes. What was before that? Anything related that just, was your foundation? So, no, I mean, just a huge horror fan. Um, I thought I knew what horror was until I actually joined Horror Aficionados, and then I realized there was life outside of Stephen King, so <laughs> um, definitely opened up my eyes to that. Yeah, Brennan, Brennan actually, I think he had a more specific, possibly specific angle at that question. Uh, yeah, not as far as I'm concerned. No, I mean, we wanted to, uh, you know, just kind of know what uh, brought your attention to kind of the indie scene and, you know, to eventually uh, fulfill that need for another indie publisher like uh, Silver Shamrock has. All right. So basically what happened was, again, coming from the non-publishing side of everything, I came down the road through a little different path. Again, I was a horror fan looking online to see what was out there besides the Stephen King thing. I pretty much read the whole catalog there. I wanted to span out and see what was there. Um, I joined Goodreads. This God, this has been a long time ago. This is probably whew, over ten years ago. So got on there. Then I started learning all about the indie scene, and that's when the Brian Keens and the Jonathan Jans and you know on down the line, I started learning all about them, and then. What I started doing is I, I would get on a few other ones, and I actually started a small group on Goodreads, and what I would do is I would reach out to some of these authors and have them so they would be a guest author on there. Horror aficionados kind of saw what I did a little bit. They liked what they saw, and they invited me to be a moderator on their group, so that's what I did, and I kind of brought that touch to theirs so where I could invite 
uh, guest authors and stuff, and it worked out really good. And that's where I I started making friendships and stuff with all these indie authors and kind of creating the path to that eventually led to Silver Shamrock. Okay. Um, I have to ask. It wasn't. I haven't heard you answer this question yet. Are you a fan of Halloween 3? <laughs> you, you, you bet your ass. Um, okay, so your last name is McDonald. My last name is McKinley. We're both Irish. I own a company called Shamrock Heating and Cooling. I own a heating and cooling company. Okay. And when I was looking to do a publishing company, one of the things I, I was just throwing names and stuff around trying to figure out, well, what am I going to call this thing? And I didn't want to call it just Shamrock. And when I said Shamrock, the first thing that popped into my head, for whatever reason, was Silver Shamrock, based <laughs> off of Halloween 3. And I thought, oh, that's perfect. It's a, you know, it's kind of one of those cult movies that is, you know, kind of off the radar a little bit because it was didn't have the Michael Myers stuff. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, a, a great movie. It was one of those ones that should have been called Season of the Witch and didn't have the Halloween moniker on it, but. Great movie, and I thought it'd be just a, a perfect tie-in. Um, I got a hold of Keelan Patrick Burke and said, hey, this is what I'm looking to do. And he's the one that actually came up with our logo. So oh, okay. If you, yeah, if you actually look at the logo, you look at it nice and close, you could actually see the lines going across the silver shamrock um, depicting what it would be like for a, a TV not having reception. Oh, Holy shit. I love when artwork does something that deep, man. It's I'm going to when we're done talking, I'm going to look at that logo and I'm probably going to be like, holy fuck, that clever son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm looking can... at it right now. I'm looking at it right now. And I, I, that's something I uh, might not have noticed on my own. That's awesome. Yeah, it's very subtle. Um, you got to blow it up to see it. But, you know, when he came up with that idea, I thought, oh, see, this guy knows what he's doing. So, yeah, it was really cool. Kaelin Patrick Burke is one of those names where when you join the indie horror scene, everyone talks about him, no matter if it's about his artwork, which is fucking great. And he does stuff for Bentley Little to first-time authors to his actual stories. Like, he's he, he's a great guy. He's always been kind to me, and he's been kind to everyone else that I've seen. Unless you're an asshole, he's, he's got to be on your team. Yeah, he is a really good guy. Um, amazingly talented. I can't say enough about him. He is one of those ones I I I picked up on his his short stories and his novellas, and that's uh, the Turtle Boy. That was the first thing mm. I ever read of his, and I thought, man, this is. It reminded me a lot of kind of Peter Straub, how it's it's almost literature. Mm. He's that good with the written prose. So I thought, you know, this is a guy to pay attention to. So I wrote a few more of his things, and the next thing I know, I start seeing some of his artwork and stuff out there, and I thought, ooh, this guy's really good at this. I, I don't know, something <laughs> about his artwork really spoke to me. It just really drew me in. I thought, man, this guy's really good at what he does. So at that time, I didn't even, you know, have an inkling that I was going to do Silver Shamrock, but then when everything went down, he was the first person I contacted. Um, there was no one else in my mind that I wanted to get a hold of first. That makes sense. Anything to follow that up on, Brendan? I just don't want to. This is our first episode. It's not going to make sense when we release this unless I say this ahead of time because this uh, won't be in the initial launch of episodes, but it will be shortly after, probably like a week or two after. Okay. 
That's I, fun. I, People can uh, listen to them in any order. It'll be a little bit like a choose-your-own-adventure book. <laughs> I only bring that up because me and Brandon are trying to... Uh, we're, we're figuring it out as we go along. This is our second episode we're recording together. All right, let's plow away. I'm good with it. So, yeah. And when you, um, you know, saw that need for, you know, an indie publisher, um, I, I know you did a lot of, uh, research, uh, to make sure you're going to do it right. And obviously, you know, you've hit the ground running. You've got like 117 books out in a year. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, I know you took a year to really kind of research, uh, the right way to do it. Um, and can you tell us some of the things that you kind of found out? I know your number one is, you know, just take care of authors, but tell us a little bit about that and what else you learned. All right. So yeah, I had some authors and stuff come to me and that I'd struck up relationships with through Goodreads and they came to me expressing, um, Hey, you know, you really need to look into doing this. And again, it was just one of those things where I didn't feel like I was comfortable enough with the industry. I didn't want to just be another statistic where I fell flat on my face. So I took a year to figure out what's up and what's not. Now, whether I did it successfully or not, I don't know. So far, so good. Uh, some of the things I learned uh, outside of, hey, take care of your authors. The biggest thing is, is don't be a cheap ass about it. If you can't afford to publish a book, you shouldn't be doing it. So, again, I've mentioned this before. They say that you know, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. Again, those are people that are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody judges a book by its cover. That's yeah. how you buy things. If you don't know anything about it, you're perusing around through a whole plethora of stuff, looking at things over and over and over, and you see good covers and you see covers that aren't so good. Uh, my goal was to make it that covers that would stand the test of time, things that people would notice. So I wanted to make sure we had that. The other thing that really drove me nuts was when you had books filled with errors. They went cheap on the editing. Or a lot of times I was finding out there was no editing. I had a couple of authors that you know we since published that would tell me, wow, this is really in-depth. And I go, what do you mean this is in-depth? They go, uh, we never had this type of editing before. I go, what kind of editing did you have? And come to find <laughs> out, there was none. It was the manuscript came in. There really was... They did a spell check on it, and then it went to print. So I didn't want that because, again, that if it drove me nuts, I was pretty sure it drove other people nuts. So those were a couple things. Just make sure the quality is there. Um, uh, trying to think what else. I'm sure I'll come up with other things. But those are the two things that really like struck me off the bat was just make sure that we're we're doing stuff that you know people want to read. Stuff that's going to stand the test of time and, you know, try to keep it as professional and clean as possible. I think you've uh, absolutely displayed that. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I love the piece on the editing. Like, that definitely shows through. Um, it, you, you're certainly not uh, hitting a lot of spelling errors or anything like that. And it reads just, you know, they all read so smooth. Um, and one of the things I really like about. Um, what you guys kind of do with the finished product is I feel like you, um, th there's kind of almost a theme to them. Um, the way that you break up different, uh, parts and chapters, like you've got the crickets in, uh, Jeremy Hepler's book. Uh, I'm looking at the corruption of Alston house right now, and you've got the, uh, paint brushes and palettes. Um, I love that little touch. It's, it, it seems like kind of a, a trademark of, uh, silver shamrock. 
Yeah, that's something that we're we're trying to do is just pick one little symbol out of the book that you could use throughout the whole thing that doesn't give anything away with the plot, but yet still has something that means something to it. And honestly, I'm going to give a shout out to Kenneth Kane. He's the one that edits the books for me. Um, that was a lot of, you know, his ideas and things like that. Uh, I would go through and say, Hey, how about this? How about that? You know, how about that? And it's worked out really well. And it's, you know, it is, it's, I don't know, like you said, it's just kind of cool. It gives it a little bit extra. Of all your books, how many does he edit? He's edited every single one except one. I edited one and it was the prisoners of Stuartville. Oh, uh, Shannon Felton. Yeah, Shannon Felton. So she's a, a new author. Uh, the reason I edited that one is because when I got the manuscript for that one, it, it, it was really good for one. Two, I had a specific vision on how I wanted to, to see it. And the, the writing was good, but it was raw. There was some rawness to it. So I kind of went over some ideas and stuff with her. She really liked what I had to offer. Um, and it, it just kind of clicked there. So I, I took that under my wing to make sure that I did that one. <laughs> Let me tell you guys, um, when Kenneth King, when I got done with that, I literally was exhausted. That's not <laughs> as easy as you think it would be. And I told Kenneth, I said, you know what, dude, you do not get paid enough. Uh, what you do is an art form. I will never, ever think that you're not worth it because the job that he does is is the Lord's work. It's it, it, he does a great job. Yeah, I uh, I've heard a few. Uh, I'm just gonna call them writers. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure they got books out, but when I hear writers, I stopped arguing with them about a year ago because there's no point. I, I tried fighting because I'm an idiot. So when I hear an author, a quote unquote author or writer say that they don't. They edit their own stuff. They don't use editors. If they cheap out on covers, I've gotten flack for saying, like, the way I worded it, I said, you need an editor. And I got shit from people that are like, I'm a fucking editor. You don't need one. Like, what are you talking about? That's the worst advice you could give anyone. The Yeah, exactly. I, I can't even – I don't even know what to say to that. If you don't edit <laughs> something – Listen, you are your own worst critic. Yeah. Okay. And I've I've noticed this with my own work. You you don't catch things. You you will gloss over errors. I don't care how many times you read it, you'll gloss over errors. The more eyeballs on a story before it hits the print, the better. Yeah. Because yeah. everybody's gonna catch a little bit something more. And we we have stuff proofread. We, so we not only do editing with Kenneth Kane, but we also have proofreaders read through the stuff and then make notes, give us feedback, let us know what they see. You know, maybe there's continuity errors, maybe there's plot holes, um, any typos or anything that might slide through. Just, again, another set of eyeballs. You cannot polish a story enough. And for these people that don't think they need editors or, you know, it, it doesn't matter about a cover or, you know, I, I'm a self-publisher. All I say, and I, listen, I don't say this to be snooty because there are a couple of them out there that do a decent job, but it's because they figured things out. Mm. But for the most part, when someone tells me I don't need it, I look at it and I go, you need it more than you think. 
Um, <laughs> if if you don't do it, it shows. These covers that look like a third grader made them. Um, <laughs> the you know a manuscript filled with errors. It's it's horrible, and it, it's mm. for the reader. It's rough, mm. and I think it reflects upon the writer. And that's not the type of impression I would want to give as an author to my prospective readers. I wouldn't want them to read a manuscript and go, oh, this guy is horrible. Because let's be honest, it's, it's all about getting it down on the page. And then you go through and you edit and you fix things. Mm. Well, if you don't have, if you don't have enough eyeballs on that to fix those things, errors pop through, it makes you look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know why you'd want to give that kind of impression to someone. I don't know. That- Sorry, Brian, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, not not only that, but I mean, just to cycle back to your point about, uh, you know, judging a book by its cover, um, if you if you see something that looks like it was put together by a third grader, or <laughs> if you open up the page and you've got, you know, seven typos on page one, uh, you automatically jump to the conclusion that that's the amount of care that's going to be put into the crafting the story as well. And, and not only that story, but maybe more of their work. So... Not everybody has a, a book that, you know, say, say you jump into someone for the first time, and let's say they've got 10 books out there, and you read one that's, it's okay, but it's not maybe your cup of tea. But you look at it, and it's it's professionally done. Um, you can tell that they know what they're doing, but maybe the story just wasn't yours. You may look to go pick up something else of theirs, okay? But if you pick up one, and again, at the covers, like we mentioned, it's filled with errors and it's not your cup of tea, how likely are you going to be to pick up the second one? I don't know. To me, it seems like you pick it up less. There's too many good authors out there. There's too many good publishers out there. You're only a year old. As of this recording, you're a year and one day old. (laughs) (laughs) Happy belated birthday, then. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I bring that up because, like, good publishers could be right around the corner. There could be one forming right now. I'm sure there is. There's so many choices. That's my whole point. So, Ken, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that your process for picking a story uh, as Silver Shamrock's sole uh, slush reader is if you like it, it goes. Uh, not necessarily looking for this is going to, you know, grace the uh, – the, the, uh, bookshelves at Barnes and Noble, but this is a good story and I like it. So I think other people will, will, will like it. Is that correct? You are dead balls bullseye right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. It, it's, I'm a very selfish publisher. I'm one of these ones that I'm, I am the slush reader. I read every story that comes through here. And if I like it, it does go. I'm not looking for trends. I'm looking for something that I feel I would want to read and someone else would want to read. And I think we've kind of, you know, any publishing, I think a lot of it has kind of stretched on the wayside. We've got away from our roots. And what I mean by that is, you know, I mean, you're getting stuff where you're getting anthologies about the the craziest types of themes. And I think we're so far away from the classic tropes that pulled us into horror to begin with. And my goal is to take those classic tropes, put a fresh spin on it. There's so many good voices out there. There's so many good creative minds. Do something with it, guys and girls. Let me see what you got. So that's what I look for. So not to put you on the spot, but I'd, I'd love to hear um, with uh, 
Uh, and it's worth noting that uh, even though this will air in a couple months, uh, we're recording it on April 3rd. So as of right now, the last book you guys put out was uh, Coleridge, and you've got seven Cleopatra Hill coming out in a few days. Could you pick a title or two and tell us, you know, when you read it, what, what caught your eye? What made you say, this is, we've got to do this one? Okay, so the first one that came through was In the Scrape, and that was by James Newman and Mark Steensland. And that one, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of James's work, so obviously my radar was open for that. And, like, everything that guy puts out was high quality. The story flowed. It had my attention. I couldn't put it down. That is a good story. When you when you can open the pages and get lost, you start losing time. You look up and you go, oh, my God, that's a sign of a good story. Yeah. So there was that one. The first one that I went through that I hadn't read something of theirs before was actually the next one we published, and that was Jeremy Hepler's Cricket Hunters. So I opened up his manuscript. I'd heard the name. I'd never read any of his work. But the guy crafted one hell of a story. It was another coming-of-age tale. Had a different twist to it. Had a lot of the Hispanic background and stuff. And he gets that from his wife's side, from the sounds of it. And it was just absolutely amazing. It Again, it was one of those books I couldn't put down. And when I get a book like that, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking. There's so many good books out there. But I want to get a great book. And sometimes I hit it. Sometimes I don't. But that's that's what I'm looking for are things like that where it's you you find that it it's not not only a good book but man you just can't put it down. Yeah. So give me storyteller, give me a storyteller that has good characters, good plot, and a smooth voice. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. Yeah. yeah that that makes <laughs> that makes complete sense. <laughs> so kind of uh, to go on something that we just talked about recently, where do you see the indie independent horror scene? In a few years, even the next year from now, 2021, where, where do you see us going? Because since I've joined, it seems like it's progressive. It is progressive. Um, I can tell you where I'd like to see it go. I'd like to see us get back to nurturing um, with the volatility in the publishing world. What you've got now is you've got authors that are taking their work and they're, they're mixing it up. Um, they're not putting all their eggs in one basket, which is smart on their part because you just never know what tomorrow's going to bring. So, you know, I may get an author that puts with me, but then they'll turn around and they'll, they'll take the next turn and they'll put up with another author or you've got some of these, I'm sorry, with another publisher. And then you've got some publishing companies that are, maybe they specialize in, say, creature features or, you know, things like that or Bizarro or what have you. And then if they have a story like that, maybe they'll, they'll put it with them. But they're they're not keeping their eggs in one basket because of all of the bad things that have happened in the in the press, which makes it a little more difficult for us. Because I would like to bring in authors and keep them in house, obviously, but I completely understand where they're coming from. So another thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to create an environment for new authors to find a home. Um, I, I mentioned this before in another podcast where the, the indie world, there's, there's not enough publishers for the amount of good work out there. Hmm. There are so many good authors that cannot find a home 
this is typically why they are going to self-publishing though, because they get so frustrated to not be able to get their work out there. And it's literally because there's not enough publishers out there. I mean, a publisher can only put out so many at a time, and we've got more supply than we can handle. So it's kind of been my goal to try to get some, get get a home for the the new authors and stuff to be able to to nurture them and grow them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I wish I had something to add to that, but that makes complete sense to me. Uh, Brennan, anything to add to that, man? No, not really. Okay. Um. So I would like to jump ahead to something that might not happen this year. Scares I care. I know you're going. I'm going. Um, I don't think Brennan's going, which I'm I, I'm going to have to miss it. Yeah, I'm going to have uh, to miss it this year. Okay. But so I look forward to 2021. <laughs> so my question for that is for any new writer listening to this, what's the best way or a smart to do or not do to approach a publisher? Okay, so publishers, especially in you guys like myself, we're people. And the last thing we want to be is sold, okay? And what I mean by that is, if I don't know you, the last thing I want to see is you come up to me, shake my hand, and then try to pitch a book. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Nobody wants that. I don't care if you're selling your book or if you're selling Amway. Nobody wants that. So here's what you do. If you're going to go to a scarce care or any other convention, get to know people. Go be a fan first, okay? I'm going to pay attention to people that I like and that we have something in common with. And, and you know what? There's a lot of drinking at the bar and kind of and talking about the industry. Show me that you're a fan first, okay? Let me get, let's get to know each other. Because here's the other thing. Maybe I'm not the publisher for you. And I think that it's a two-way street. You should be comfortable with us and me as a person to make sure that we're all on the same page. Mm. If you're not comfortable with us, you shouldn't be doing business with us and vice versa. So go out there, meet as many people as you can, introduce yourself. You know, obviously, let them know, look, you know, I'm a new publisher, or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a new author. You know, this is my name, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'd love to talk to you about something. And try not to make it a selling thing. Just Make it so you're just introducing yourself. Good points. Again, do you, <laughs> without naming names, do you have a story of a totally do not do this? <laughs> um, do I have a story of a do not do this? So I've only been to one con, and that's Stoker Con. And, oh, okay, yeah, I do have a do not do this. So, I met a handful of people at Stokertown. Now, again, I'm the new kid on the block, too. But I felt that I'd done enough homework to know a lot of people. And I did. And that I always met new people, and there were a lot of them were great. But do not act like you are way too important to be talking to someone. That rubs <laughs> people the wrong way. And I cannot tell you, there is a certain percentage of authors that I've met that, man, they would... They get their panties in the twist if you didn't know everything about them. And I thought, I'm like, who is this person? And I would go back and I'd look and I'm like, they've got five reviews. Why are they getting all stuck up with me? So, 
Um, yeah, don't don't be that way. You know, people are people. They want to be treated well. Don't act like you're better than someone. I Listen, Robert McKinnon was the head guy there at StokerCon. He was the reason I was there. And this guy was the most important person in the room to pretty much everybody there. And he treated everyone with the most utmost respect. He was such a gentleman. He was a horror fan. He would talk to you for hours about the industry, the changes, writing, movies, everything. His influences, all that stuff. And he's Robert fucking McCammon. <laughs> so take a page from Robert McCammon and do it right. I know you got a great story about that. I'm not going to ask you to tell that because I would like to direct everyone to listen to the Inkheist episode for that. We would just be rehashing that. So okay. go to Inkheist to listen to that story. That was a great story. I'm curious, though. <laughs> the first time you met him, I know you were stuttering and all that or whatever. Did you oh, feel yeah. like you were out of your body just seeing yourself? Um... I started getting sweaty palms. I was <laughs> hyper. I was literally halfway to hyperventilating. Um, again, I'm not one of these ones that gets fanboy. And when he came up, I, my eyes literally bugged out. I was like, "That's McCammon." And again, he's just a guy, you know. And that's how he wants to be treated. But in my mind, he was on, you know, Mount fucking Olympus. The guy was a Greek god, in my opinion, when it comes to, to horror authors. There's no one better. I, I've mentioned this before. He's my Stephen King. And, you know, I, I was shaking in my shoes. I was stuck. I was, my, my brain got frazzled. I, I couldn't think of what to say. <laughs> you know? Luckily, I, I gathered my wits and it, went, it got better from there. But, whew, that was the only time I've ever been starstruck. It was crazy. Well, you heard it here. If uh, McCammon can be decent and humble to everybody, then that really takes away uh, anyone else's excuse to have their head up their ass. <laughs> and that's it. You know what? It's Listen, we all love this genre. We all love this industry. Let's be good to each other. And for the now, don't get me wrong. For the most part, I'm talking 98% of the authors that I met were absolutely awesome. They were amazing. They took me under the wing. Brian Keene. He was, you know, he found out what I was doing and all this. And he goes, oh, yeah, I remember talking to you about And he, like, gave me all this advice. He gave me, like, his private email. Hey, get a hold of me anytime. I'm more than happy to help. He is an absolute champion when it comes to promoting horror. He loves the industry. He wants to help the little guy. You know, people like him. And, again, most of them are amazing. So I can't say enough about him. Did you meet him at StokerCon? I did. So is that... Okay, is it because of that connection we physically met that now he's going to be in Midnight at the Pentagram? In the Pentagram? Sorry. Yes. Oh. Um, listen, a lot of the connections I made, either through Goodreads or StokerCon, are about 90% of what, if it's a name author that you've heard of, that's where it's coming from. I've already made the connection through that, and yeah, I'm kind of calling in all my favors. I'm you know, the worst they can tell me is no. And I've had a few no's, and that's fine. But you know what? I've been pleasantly and humbly surprised by the amount of yeses. And it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but I've had people that, again, they, they 
they kind of stand back in the weeds, kind of watch what's going on as well as they should because hey, new presses are volatile. Yeah, they're dangerous. They you, you know you don't you don't want to put a book with someone that's going to fold six months down the road. I get it. So a lot of them have kind of stood back to see what's been going on, and you know they're not vocal. They may not say anything, but then six months, a year down the road, they come up to you and they go, "Hey, I've got this thing. Would you be interested?" And I'm again, I start going, "That that that." Of course I would. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, speaking of Midnight and the Pentagram, you, um, you guys put together such a lineup for the Graveyard Anthology. Like, part of me, you know, despite the fact that it's it's you're, you're a year in, I'm looking at it, they can't do that again, but son of a bitch. Um, I'm looking at you guys have like 14 authors as of right now, and they're all just like, you know, uh, and a lot of them are people I hadn't even heard of um, before October, but they had stories in the last one or I found them elsewhere. Uh, Stephanie Ellis is a great example of that. Uh, before Bottled, I didn't know her. Now I'm psyched as hell to read her story that's going in there. Um, and then Shannon Felton's got one in there. Uh, Mark Steensland just announced that the one that he's got in there has, uh, is it a film deal? Yeah. 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 Wow. It's a hell of a lineup. Uh, so, Ken, I've got to ask you, uh, one of, one of my favorite stories, and I'm not kissing ass here because I wrote this in my review before, uh, I, Realized I put two and two together and realized that uh, uh, the guy who wrote The Glimmer Girls was the same guy who was uh, running the company, but can we expect <laughs> something from another one? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I'm working on another one for the anthology, um, but this is what I've told. So Kenneth Kane is the, the person that's going to make sure that I'm not putting it in a piece of crap just because my, you know, writing the checks and stuff for it. And I told him, and I told him for Midnight in the Graveyard, I said, look, I said, I've never been published before. I've been one of these guys where I write, but I'm too chicken shit to <laughs> stick my work out there to see what anybody thinks. Because, you know, I'm my own worst critic. I think I suck. And I think a lot of authors feel that way, and I've just been too much of a chicken shit to, to do that. So I sent it to him, and he goes, no. Nah. We gotta get this in. I go, really? <laughs> no, it's actually really good. I go, you're not just saying that because, you know, I pay you to edit my stuff. He goes, no, 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 it's, it's good. I'm like, alright. I said, as long as I'm not embarrassing myself. No, no, you'd be fine. And the response has been <laughs> extremely pleasant. So, yes, I'm gonna try it again. But, you know, you mentioned something about with, uh, the Midnight in the Graveyard lineup, you know, can you do it again? <laughs> Trust me, that was definitely on my mind. I mean, how many times can I, I go to the well here? So it, one of my things I didn't want to do is I didn't want to make Minute and Pentagram just be, you know, the same authors going in. I wanted to have some different ones and work with different authors. So that's kind of been my goal. Uh, I try to get some new authors and stuff in there like I did for Minute and the Graveyard. And then when I made my new authors, I'm talking previously unpublished, like, Shannon Felton, that was her, even though that was the second story we accepted, that was the first one we published, so there was one, um, and so on and so forth. So it's been a, a nice little mix, and I've got a handful of them that I'm in the process of the contracts, so what you see is just the tip of the iceberg. Yep. Now, are you shooting for around 25 again? Yes. yes. Awesome. I'm, it's so hard, because everybody's like, oh, that's you're crazy. You can do it with, you know, much less than that. 
I'm greedy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of those ones where I don't, I, I get all these good stories that, you know, oh, you can make two of them. I don't want to do that. I want to put out a nice home that people can take the bite out of, set it down, go read something else, come back, take another bite out of it. Every bite tastes good. So that's yeah. my goal. And I think to the uh, experienced Silver Shamrock reader, which is that same 98% of the uh, indie horror community, it's going to be uh, an, an interesting experience because, like, again, I'm looking at Shannon Felton here. Now, uh, her story to kick off Midnight in the Graveyard, Devil's Dip, was uh, it was a surprise and it was a knock it out of the park one because I'd never heard of her before. And it was just that was the perfect choice to start the anthology with. Now, this time around, I'm going to be looking forward to her story. So it'll be interesting yeah. to kind of just discover new people and see what comes from the, uh, you said it's about 25% open submission, too. 25% open submission. We had just shy of 700 entries. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah, and I'm the moron slush reader for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting, so, you know, 16, 18-hour days until my eyes bug out, but... So how far are you? Stuff in there. How far through the uh, 700-ish are you? Uh, I'm about... Two thirds and three quarters. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, oh, I, I, this I, guy I, reads fast. <laughs> it's been a long winter. <laughs> so I actually got a question about your, if you don't mind me prying. How's your wife take all this? Because you got a full time job already. Um, you know what? She's amazingly supportive. Um, Kathy is. She is. She's probably the reason I have became a publisher. I, again, same thing with my writing. I never think I'm going to do a good enough job on my, you know, all that type of stuff. The whole insecurity. She's like, you know this inside and out better than most of those others. Get your ass out there and just do it. And she's been extremely <laughs> supportive. Uh, she's a photographer, so she, she, she spends a lot of her nights editing photos that she took during the day. So we got kind of a little thing. She's got her own little photography loft that she she does her thing in and you know i'm sitting there with the laptop just buzzing through it got the, you know we we got a thing we, we we're going out hey how's it going gives you a kiss on the cheek back and forth kind of thing um it, it works so well it's been a, a very good one so i appreciate everything she's done for me that's awesome because the amount of work that you have and i don't know what you have in store for the next few months besides the books that we know about, but I know the type of person you are, and you want more and more and more, which leads me to this one question. And you gave me the okay to ask this. Your podcast. All right. You're going to start your own podcast. Yes. Because you want to take I on more fucking craziness. <laughs> Tell me about um, it, man. I can't get enough of this stuff, guys. Okay, so yeah, I can't get enough of this stuff, and I've got all of these authors that have got great stories. Let that rip. So you get to have a feeling you're going to be on one of them. Uh, Ken, I hate to point this Hello? out, but you broke up a little bit, so it was hard to hear all of that. <laughs> okay. Um, hopefully your editing's good on this. Can you hear me now? Yeah, so from what I gathered, you're just basically highlighting and spotlighting your own authors. Um, 
I think there's going to be an emphasis on that. And, okay. And, you know, that's, again, that's a, a selfish thing. It's it's to get my authors out there so people can see them and hear them and get to know them a little bit better. Because I, I feel that if you get to know a person a little bit more, if you like the story that you hear, you may want to find out more about what they write. So, to me, that's just human nature working for you. But the other thing is, is it's, I also want to get authors that other people know about that maybe not be in the Silver Shamrock family and get their stories out there. So it's, it'll probably be a little bit of everything. That's exciting, man. Uh, honestly, like, I love podcasts. I can't get enough of them. And um, I know Brennan's a fan, too. So for me, that sounds like something I'd subscribe to and listen to. Well, here, I'm going to flip it back around, and I'm going to be the podcaster, and you're going to be the guest. How'd you guys get involved in yours? How'd you guys get together? <laughs> oh, yeah, we have our own podcast, don't we? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> uh, ours doesn't have a spotlight on how much we hate IPAs, though. Sounds like yours, <laughs> that's going to be a regular feature. <laughs> well, it may be, you know, tell me what you're drinking tonight kind of thing. And, oh, don't drink an IPA. <laughs> All right, well, I guess Tim Meyer is just, like, fucking crying his eyes out right now because... Uh, <laughs> Every time an IPA is hated on, Tim Meyer cries. I'm coining that phrase. Hey, <laughs> to to say like a kind word about Tim, though, his uh, his the the book he has coming out in a, in a few days, Dead Daughters, is uh, oh, it's, it's a good one, man. <laughs> it's, it's he may have uh, yeah, he may not have different taste in beers, but the guy can write a book. <laughs> and you know what's crazy about it? As good as he is, he keeps getting better with each subsequent book. Um, I've been reading Tim for a while, and his first stuff was good, but the stuff that he's been kicking out lately has been just lights out. So, yeah, he may not know a good beer when he drinks one, but he can <laughs> tell a tale. Well, he's a good guy, too, man. Like, he, he uh... Yes, he really is. He doesn't live too far. I fucking got lucky. And sorry to make this about me real quick, but, like, I met my wife when she went to Providence, and I never even thought I would visit New Jersey. And now I have lived here for... Well, almost five years. But the reason why I say I got lucky is because PA is like a hot spot for horror authors, and there's some good authors in Jersey, too. Yeah, you've got like that whole horror corridor right there where you got Tim Meyer, you go, you got Armand, you go up into the, the, the PA side of things, you got Kenneth Kane's Neck of the Woods, you got Brian Keene, you got. Uh, Wesley Southern, you got Summer Cannon, you got Todd Keasley. I mean, God, the list goes on and on. And, you know, it's just, you got a nice little horror corridor right there. Yeah, I mean, if I could, my goal is to be friends with as many of them as I can. So, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I didn't, neither one of us answered your question, so I apologize. No. <laughs> we absolutely <laughs> deflected that, didn't we? So, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, that's probably on you, because this is kind of your brainchild, so... Yeah, uh, uh, okay, so, I love the Joe Rogan podcast, I just like, I'm a, I'm a history dork, my, one of my favorite people in history is Benjamin Franklin, because that dude wanted to learn everything, and he's arguably the most influential American ever, I'm not, I'm not even gonna rant about why, because I would talk forever about him, but... I bring him up because that's how Joe Rogan is. He wants to learn. He talks to people. He's open-minded. Something like, I would love to do that, but may, make it mainly directed about, uh, directed towards the horror scene. Sure. 
Uh, I want to – I'm going to have, like, specials with – I got a stand-up comedian from Pittsburgh that I'm friends with that I'm eventually going to have, and I'm pumped for that. Matt Light, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's funny as hell. All right. No, I haven't. I haven't had <laughs> well, anyways, uh, I mainly want to focus it on the horror scene, publishers, editors, reviewers, even readers that, like, people are fans of um, – I, I just, I started to talk to authors. I'm like, hey, I talked to the Sisters of Slaughter, Lex yeah. H. Jones. Uh, who else did I talk to? I asked a few others. I'm like, would you be a guest on my show? Oh, yeah, Jim McLeod, who's one of, I can't believe that guy's my friend. I'm friends with that guy. If, if I had to like say one of my idols in the horror scene, um, that, he's one of them. And, I'm like, would you be a guest on my show? And all of them said, yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, I guess <laughs> you got your schedule all planned out for the next year. <laughs> I guess I gotta do this. And then this will lead to a question for you, by the way. Um, I kind of fell ass backwards in the role of running a review platform and reached out to contributors that I liked. And one of them was Brennan. He's a guy from Massachusetts, a local a local guy, uh, cause I grew up there and a few others. And long story short, now I think it's fair to say that we are progressing each month. We're again, we're doing the best we can to promote her. And, uh, my question to you, and if Brendan wants to add anything to this before I ask my question, jump in right now, man. We, we bonded, uh, over the disappointing end of the Patriots season. So, <laughs> <I mean. laughs> And that's how yeah. Brady is in fucking Miami. He just bought Derek Jeter's mansion, by the way, 33,000 oh square feet. So yeah. what do you think? Okay, this is completely off a of horror, but i got to ask you Patriots fans, what are you thinking with him being a Buccaneer now? Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking we'll see Tampa Bay get a few more primetime games if we have a season this year. <laughs> I think you're right. Now, in a Patriots eye, Patriot fan's eye, does that taint his... Does that taint his legacy? I don't or think so. Or is that like Joe Montana? If it didn't taint Bobby Orr in our hearts, then it's not going to do it with Brady. Okay, okay. No, I, guess... I think I think you've certainly got some New Englanders uh, as the only person in New England right now uh, who you know are bitter Fuck about you, it. Man, but... That's a low blow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think you've got some people who are disappointed about it, but I think for the most part, you know, everybody says, you know, this guy kind of gave his heart and soul for uh, 20 years, and if he wants to go get a payday and chase one more without, you know, um, a, a coach he won six Super Bowls for telling him what every move to make, uh, you, you go for it, man. <laughs> I'm happy for him. I don't blame him. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I'm always curious on that if, that, you know, you've got such a legacy or, a, a, you know, a guy like that with that is huge in NFL history, and he's a legend. I didn't know if that would like tarnish his image, but you know that that's a good way of looking at it. You know he's earned his dues, and if he wants to go off and do that, you guys are wishing him well. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's we kind of like hope. Sorry, go ahead. How about that? It's not like he just one day said fuck. Okay, who was that? Uh, there was a player. God damn. I don't remember who it is. I don't forget. I don't remember the team, but I remember there was this one player who was talking shit about the city. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brad, Brad, uh, Sam Bradford. I can't fucking think. 
Sam Bradford talked shit about Philadelphia while he was still under contract for the Eagles. And if it was a situation like that that's extreme, I would be like, why, why are you talking? Why is your mouth moving and saying them, those words right now? Yeah, uh, not, not a smart one. And I, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head why he's one of the reasons he's not a, a good quarterback is because he's got a two-bit <laughs> brain. <laughs> yeah, somehow makes twice as much or probably more than all of us combined. <laughs> exactly. I, I would think so. <laughs> so I, uh, from a review platform, running a review platform standpoint and now the podcast, uh, I've been able to talk to guys that never and girls that women that I never thought I'd be able to talk to before. Um, I've talked to Brian Keene a little bit and he's always been very nice. Mary San Giovanni, she wrote an article for us for Women in Horror. I asked Keelan Patrick Burke before I reached out to all these women, and he's like, first off, I'm too pale, and I'm a male. I think you should reach out to women. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. You're right. Why was I even doing this? But uh, Jonathan Mayberry, uh, excuse me, Christopher Golden, everyone's been nice. Yeah, so, it's, it, it's literally a fraternity of the poor authors—they all kind of band together. It's—it's it's awesome to see. And the best part, when someone's being a true piece of shit, because there are some. There. Most of the time, you we band together. Yeah, yeah, and I and, love that. And the word gets around quick. I mean, it's—it's it's a tight community, and you know, when you do have that guy that's trying to just double play things and be the weasel, word gets around fast. So it. You know, I, I love all the people that are on our side. And, you know, uh, for instance, Pete Kale of Bloodshot Books. This guy, he could have looked at me as like competition and wanted to squash me like a bug under his heel. That is not what Pete did. Pete took me under his wing. He gave me all sorts of advice. He, like, gave me just the best information. And he champions our stuff as much as we champion his. And I can't say enough for him. And... You've got a, a bunch of them out there like that, but he was one of the first ones that really took us under his wing and just, you know, that that's really cool when you got someone that can look at you as competition and they don't look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, and Ken, I think you put it best. I mean, you, you when when you first started talking about why you'd start a, par- a podcast, you said, I, I can't get enough of this shit. Um, and, and that's about it. You know, you start, you read the books, you're like, okay, now I want to, I want to, I want to talk about these. I want to write about them. I want to talk to other, I want to talk to the people who wrote them. I want to talk to other people who are reading them. I want to talk to people who aren't reading them and figure out why the hell they're not reading them and make them read them. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's addictive. And part of that is just because there's so many people in the community who are, uh, just set that 98%, you know, just like salt of the earth, great people. And that's it. And you know what? Horror has always been the underdog. Um, it's never been mainstream. I mean, it'll come and go. 80s was definitely a, a, a highlight for horror. And then it pretty much disappeared for most of the 90s. Started to make a little bit of comeback with leisure horror and stuff like that in the 2000s and late 90s. And then now, now we're experiencing kind of a, a, a rush with it with, you know, the bird box and stuff like that that's, that's hit it big on Netflix with, you know, even Stephen King's had a nice revitalization. So, I mean, it comes yeah. and it goes. 
but typically we're the underdog. And I kind of like that role because it's, it, to me, like heavy metal and horror kind of go together and they've always embraced the underdog role. And like you said, it's the salt of the earth people, the strap your boots on, here we go kind of thing. And I, I love it. Just real genuine people. That's a good point. Um, I actually want to lead off to something that some people might not know about, but before I do that, I got to preface it with this. I wouldn't be the first to say this. Doubt anyone that would even make this comparison, but to me, from what I've seen, because I've been, uh, I don't, I don't know where I first saw you on on Facebook, but uh, I started following you like like a year ago, and um, it was when you were advertising. Midnight in the Graveyard. And uh, I've seen you evolve, or you probably had it all staged and planned, for all I know. But to me... You give me way too much credit. <laughs> to me, you Take come it. off... <laughs> to me, you come off like the Steve Jobs of uh, the horror indie scene, in the, set, not, the non-psycho version. <laughs> because I don't know if it, you know this, but that guy was... Fucking crazy. He was, yes. I've heard I've heard some of the behind the scenes stories about him, yes. And a I, pioneer too. No, hey, look, I'm not talking shit about him. I'm obsessed with guys like uh, geniuses and I've read biographies about him, watched every documentary there's about him. I love the guy, but I'm not sure he would like me. <laughs> <laughs> but here's where it leads into a question that makes sense. Um you come out with not just books. You're very good at talking with people. Um, you connect with everyone in the community. You and me talked before I think you even knew I, I wrote, before I even was a reviewer. So, like, you didn't have to talk to me. Um, you're coming out with coffee and book bundles? And what's – like, you're focused on – you're not just mainly – driven by product like your first thing is the love of the story but the reason why i say you're like steve jobs is because you do have good uh you do have a good handle on what product would sell and how it looks and it looks good so i just wanted to see if you could touch on the the whole coffee and book thing because i don't know if everyone is aware of that okay um so Again, one of the things I noticed was, you know, we send out a lot of review copies. And the the amount of requests we get for physical ARCs is through the roof. I, okay, for the last one was Southern Cleopatra Hill for by Justin Holly. We sent out 74 ARC copies, physical ARC copies of that. Um... I've got over a hundred reviewers and stuff that we send stuff out to. But one of the things I noticed is the uptick in the physical ARC copies. And the reason for that is, is a lot of people are doing the bookstagram thing on Instagram. Mm. And they make it so it's, it's nice and, you know, they're extremely creative on how they, they put these things together. And one of the things I noticed is everybody was like, okay, we're doing this. We're drinking a cup of coffee while we're doing it. Now, <laughs> this probably sounds horrible because I'm <laughs> selling coffee, but I'm not a coffee drinker. Oh, no shit. I did I'm not know not. that. What? So, um, 
you know, but I can appreciate it that, you know, this is the, the stuff that they, they like to do. So, okay. It, books and coffee go together like peas and carrots. All right, cool. Um, I started looking around and I found out, hey, there's all these horror themed coffee shops that produce their own stuff. So I reached out to a handful of them and the one we're doing for the first one is, is, uh, Deadly Grounds. So shout out to them. And they're, they put stuff together for us. We just got the stuff in here oh, a couple weeks ago for theirs. Where it's are they located? Especially brewed stuff. Sorry to interrupt you, but where are they located out of? Oh, uh, I'm going to slaughter this. They are... <laughs> where are they located? Oh, they're yeah, out by sure. you. They're out by you somewhere. They're east coast. Makes where? sense. It's a small coast. No, 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 no. Well, they could be West Coast, but they're not. I know they're out by you. God, I want to say they're... Are they Jersey? If I'm slaughtering this Deadly Grounds, I really apologize. I am so sorry for putting you on the spot. Um, I think it's I think it's Jersey, but again, I'm probably way off base. But I know it's East Coast. So, anyways, they, they have got some specialty flavors and stuff, and they do, like, really cool things with the, the names and stuff on it, so... They've got a um, sinfully, you know, they got like a sinful one that uses a like Cinnabon kind of thing where it almost <laughs> tastes like a. Oh, it's a play yeah, word. Yeah, they play on the words and stuff with it. So, I mean, we've got that coming out with them. So, we're going to do monthly book boxes. We got, all right, so I'm going to do a, a shameless plug for Silver Shamrock book boxes. We've got a few different ones. We've got ones if you just want to do ebooks, we've got Kindle and Moby files that we send out two a month. If you want to do the physical copies, we've got those. And then if you want to do the books and coffee, we've got those as well. So um, you can check it out on our website, silvershamrockpublishing.com. Nice. <laughs> like how I did that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brennan, off to you, sir. i got to go take a leak. I'm just announcing that. <laughs> BRB. Yeah, right. You, you know, you definitely could have been a little more subtle about that, but uh, uh, so I, actually, to, semi on topic because I'm not a coffee person either. But uh, what what do you uh, what do you use in the morning to get yourself going? Uh-huh. So I have always ridiculed people that do energy drinks. You know, like oh, what do you do? Those things are so horrible for you. Blah 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 blah. And now I'm on the Bang energy drinks. They are horrible for you, and I would agree. I, I would argue that they are every bit as addicting as nicotine. Because <laughs> once you know, you know, you're gonna think like, oh man, I I think this is getting me going. But at the same time, you you miss a day, and you're like, oh shit, that was doing an awful lot for me. <laughs> I won't tell you how many of those I drink in the morning. So <laughs> I won't ask. Um, so as far as when you when you pick coffee, do you have somebody uh, taste test it, or are you specifically focusing on the kind of horror plus coffee aspect of it? No, I'm taking a complete leap of faith that someone that is crazy enough to make their coffee company be horror-themed has just got to have good coffee. And if I'm wrong, okay, I'm you- sure I will find out about that very quickly. But the reviews have been wonderful. So I had I got some from them to send out to some of my friends um, before we even did the book boxes. I just wanted to make sure that you know I wasn't you know sending out. 
I wasn't like, you know, packaging garbage and sending it out to someone. And the reviews came back well. They really liked it. They said, oh, this is really good stuff. So I'm taking their word for it. So if they're wrong, blame my friends that drink coffee. I mean, anytime you uh, post whatever you're drinking, that's why we started off today with it. It's always something interesting. It's always something good. Um, when can we expect the uh, coffee, uh, sorry, not the coffee, the beer and book boxes? Because I, <laughs> I put up with boxes. Well, you see, there's a certain <laughs> there. Uh, shipping alcohol across state lines that just gets a little hairy. <laughs> but don't think I haven't checked into it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, that, <laughs> as soon as you said it's getting hairy, it sounds like you've done your research there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that was definitely. Okay, so I get all these harebrained ideas, all right? And I'm like, I wonder about this. How about this? How about this? And I'll actually like do a little looking into it. And like, oh yeah, don't do that. That's a good way to end up in jail. So I tried. Um, so down in Jersey, I live about thirty minutes, forty, let's say an hour. I've been drinking a little bit, so my geography is not super great right now. <laughs> and by the way, I think I said this earlier. I don't drink much anymore, and I'm a lightweight. Um, so in Philadelphia, they got some great beers, uh, micro brews. One of them is named after, the, so they got this one bar. It's, uh, I want to say it's called Sons of Liberty, but I know that the actual Sons of Liberty used to visit there. I have not been yet. That's a destination I want to go to. So I can say like, Hey, I drank where maybe Thomas Jefferson drank. Um, but they got these, this one Philadelphia based brewery that has one off of a recipe. It was in Jefferson's diary, one that was off of, uh, Washington's diary. And then they got one that's based off of, uh, Franklin. So I tried shipping that to my friend in Massachusetts. And, uh, the, the guys at the post office said, well, what's in here? And for some reason I was like, just be honest, idiot. And I told them and they're like, see, here's the thing. If you didn't tell me, they would have found out because they got scanners. They would have thrown it in the trash. And in my head, I'm like, well, that's a waste. <laughs> so, so I understand. I, yeah, so I found out that you can't ship that stuff through the post office. It has to go through, I believe, FedEx. And there's all sorts of weird shit when it comes to, like, you can ship this one, but you can't ship that one. And it depends on each state, so what agreements and stuff they have. And I mean, it's, oh my God, it's a headache. So I was like, I scrapped that idea fast. So it's definitely not a moneymaker. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's a lawsuit waiting to happen is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Did we lose Brennan? No, man. Okay. Um, okay, so I was hoping we could focus a little bit on Devil's Creek. By the time this airs, it will be after the release date, but I'm I'm hoping that we can talk with Todd Kiesland and release an episode bef- either on the release date or before it. Okay. Um, I love the cover, and I also see I got a I got it right here, and I love it. I love this book. Uh, haven't read it yet, so let me be clear. I have not read it. I love the look of it. It's my next book. I am going to read it, and I can't wait. I am so excited. And I see this quote by Ed Kurtz. That's a name not talked about enough. It's not. The guy why, is... Why did he go with office. What's that? 
Why do you go with Ed Kurtz to to blurb the cover? Um, you'll have to ask him. That I don't know. Okay. So the cover is you like the cover. The cover is all Todd. He designed it. That's all him. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Yeah, he he came to me and with this, and Todd was trying to pitch to the Big Five. And, you know, he he felt that the quality of this book was worthy of that, and that's that's where he was looking. And I agree, this thing is lights out good. And the the initial reviews and stuff we're getting back from it are awesome, just awesome. But for whatever reason, I think a lot of it, and this is crazy to me, is the length of it. It's only 400 pages. Yeah, some for some reason, you get a ton of publishers that they, they want the book to fall within this certain parameter. It's got to be, you know, 200 pages to 300 pages type of thing. And to me, that's just the craziest thing I've ever heard. The story is the story is the story. Whatever the story deserves to be, I don't give a damn if it's a thousand pages. Make it that, if it deserves to be that. Now, obviously, right. you don't want it all bloated, but if it <laughs> deserves to be that, and you've got something that interesting to say and a tale that deserves that kind of length, do it. Yeah, the, the stand. That, was, that seems like that was his biggest his biggest uh, stumbling block with getting that pitch, is nobody wanted to put out something that big. And it's 400 and some pages. It's just, it's not like it's, you know, Stephen King's it. And that that's crazy because I was gonna say the stand, the uncut version, which is four hundred pages more than the original release of it. I read that and I was like, I I want more. Why is yeah. this not longer? Yeah, and and I've mentioned before some of my favorite books are the Ghost Stoppers. Robert McCammon's uh, Swan Song. I feel like that's one of them for you. That is that and Boys Life. Those two are my one and one A. And depending on the week, which one's one and which one's one A. But Stephen King's <laughs> Stephen King's It is definitely one of them. Um, the Stand I I like. Don't get me wrong, I like it, but I don't like it as much as Swan Song. Don't boo or hiss me. Um, but Peter Straub's Ghost Story that's another one that's just absolutely to die for. Um, that one's like uh, I think it's like five hundred and some pages. Um, I'm reading. Uh, Clyde Barker's A Magica right now. That's mm. 700 and some pages long. It's awesome. But that, those are the ones that typically are my favorites are the, the ones that are 500 pages plus and they hold my attention from page one to the end. I'm real interested. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip the script. Brennan, you are one of my favorite reviewers and I'm not saying that because you're my friend and contributor. What is your what is your top three long book long books? Wow, wow that's uh, rude. Um, you know what? I'm gonna have to go with at least two books that we just mentioned. Uh, I, I gotta go with it. Um, I've, I've definitely gotta go with Boy's Life. I love Swan Song, but I think Boy's Life is my one over my one A. Uh, okay. Pretty pretty much every day of the week. Um, and if I have to pick a third, I'm probably going to go King again. And I can't think off the top of my head what uh, how long Salem's Lot is, but it's King, so it's got to be over 400 pages. <laughs> yeah. Again, without looking at it, I think it is in the 400s. 112263 is one of my favorites, man. Yeah. That's a good 
It's so fucking good. Like if you're gonna you're gonna talk about a subject matter that's already just I've had I've heard enough. I'm Irish. I'm Catholic. I'm from Massachusetts. I've heard of this guy all the fucking time. Yeah. But Stephen King did the right research. He even said he had a stack of books as tall as him, and I don't think he's exaggerating. He nailed it. And the future that he posed with uh with with JFK surviving, that was creepy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he that was that was like almost his return to form because there was like a period in there where he put out a handful of things like around his accident time and then onward that I was not a huge fan of. Now I know some people really enjoyed it, but like Rose Matter and things like that, those didn't do much for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, eleven twenty two sixty three. That to me that that brought things back into form for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's... Sorry, Brandy, uh, buddy. <laughs> Three times. <laughs> I, I was going to say that uh, off the top of my head, that book's at least seven, eight hundred pages. No, it's 1,100. It it's 1,100 it really? pages. Wow. Okay, yeah. well, okay, so that book reads like it's seven or eight hundred pages, um, and I've read it twice. And if you can read a 1,000-page uh, plus book twice, then, I mean, that's... Yeah. says if, a lot. If you, throw, if you throw that book at someone, that's considered assault with a deadly weapon. <laughs> So me yeah. and Brennan, me and Brennan are doing this. Uh, we're, I would consider a series within the podcast that's called Horror Classics. And the first one we did, we recorded this Monday. Um, it was on Jack Ketchum's The Girl Next Door. And oh my god, dude! I fucking tore that up. Like for me, I read it in ten days. I don't read that fast. Oh yeah, my that- god. That book is, if anyone's never read that one, it is, it, you gotta go grab it now. It will destroy you. That thing is so rough. It, I, I equate it to like watching a, a bad accident happen. Yeah. It's horrific, but you can't turn away. And when you're done, you're like, what the hell just hit me? I'm it's, pretty sure Ruth is gonna haunt me forever. Yeah, it's nuts, man. It is nuts. And to think that he did that back in the 80s before all that stuff was in vogue, that's a pioneer right there. You just saw a pioneer in action. Yeah, and that's something that uh, me and Brandon were – so we talked for an hour and a half, and I, I'm i a little biased when I say this, but I think that we unintentionally did it spoiler-free. We talked a little – we talked about the book, obviously. But, like, we didn't – am I – is that fair to say, Brennan? That, like, I, I think we were as spoiler-free as you could get talking okay. about a 340-page book for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that's a rough that's a rough feat, guys. <laughs> so so what, something me and Brennan talked about a little while ago, because one day I was like, hey, I, I wonder if Brennan would want to do this with me. Oh, that answers a previous question. I forgot all about this. Uh so I asked Brennan, because, like, I love talking to him. I love the way he thinks. Like, something that attracts me to people the most is, like, the way that they just think and just talk without thinking about it. And he seems to be a director with his reviews. That's why I love them. And as a contributor, uh, a potential contributor, and that's why I wanted him to be a co-host. 
And me and him talked about doing a uh, series in the podcast called uh, Classic Cars. And um, that was the first one. The last – so we already talked about the ones that we're going to cover. Uh, I'm not going to say them here because they might not happen, but the next one's supposed to be Brian Keene's Ghoul. Okay, good one. And the, the last one for this year of 2020 is the biggest one of them all. Robert McCammon's Swan Song, and it'll be my first time reading it, and I can't wait. What? Yeah. The I'm first 30. time? Hey, look, I fell out of love with reading, and I told Brendan this last – on Monday. I uh, I fell out of love with reading in high school, and they just beat me over the head with books I didn't give a fuck about. Yeah. So I thought it was me, man. I thought it was fucking dumb, honestly. Yeah, mine was college. Um, I stopped reading books in college because I was so I was reading so much other stuff by the time I was that I didn't want to read that by the time I was done, the last thing I wanna do is pick up a book. It took me a couple of years after college to, to rediscover it again, but like a crackhead, once I got back on it, man, woo. Yeah, I haven't stopped since. But yeah, there was a period there for six years I I didn't hardly pick up a book. What about you, Brendan? Was there a period where you just were like, I'm fucking done? Yeah, I, it, I mean, that whole period in high school where you're told that this is good literature and you should appreciate it. Um, and, and even echoing Ken, I mean, into college. Now, I, I went to college for music, so my English uh, was pretty limited. But I think the one course I took to fulfill my English requirement was British literature. And it just wasn't good. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't even think of the. Uh, I, I can't think of the author's name now, but the one of them was called like "Sexing the Cherry," and it sucked. It was awful. Um, and um, I, I, I did. It did force me to read 1984, which I hadn't gotten to before then. And that's one of those. You know, I don't think I'd, I'd read that again. But I, I, I guess I'm glad at the once. Um, Jeanette Winterson wrote Sexing the Cherry. Um, and, and, and she didn't do a good job, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, so for a while it was just kind of, and then I picked up with, uh, with Stephen King, got onto the Dark Tower series, and then, uh, ran through pretty much everything else that he ever went through. So. What's your favorite Stephen King? Probably it. Gotta go with it. But then, you know, Salem's a lot of close second. You know, when you, when you ask me what my favorite doorstops are, it's pretty, that's tantamount to asking me what my favorite kings are because they're all, they're all doorstops. Um, yeah. and if, if, if you count the Dark Tower as hell, even if you count the Dark Tower as individual books, you've still got a few doorstops in there. But, uh, I, I do no, love I, that series. I've read times. No, I've got an unpopular opinion here, but one of the ones that I really enjoy of his, is Tommy Knockers, and most people really, hate, yeah, most people uh, hate I, that book. I'm sorry, man, but <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I so, what is it about that book that uh, drew you in? Um, <laughs> the imagery, uh, just the whole thing with making the gadgets and the little batteries, and my God, Bobby's teeth falling out. Oh, that to me, that's like. That, oh, the imagery in that book is just amazing. Oh, yeah, it could have been whittled down 500 pages. But I, for some reason, enjoyed the bloatedness of it. 
and I get it, it was in the middle of his drug-induced haze, but <laughs> it was pretty good for me. But, you know, and Gian's is one of those ones where he, he agrees with me that it's that's one of his favorites as well, but we are definitely in the minority. And it's just one of those things where that's the beauty of King. There's always something of his that no matter who you are, you'll find something that you like. And that's the mark of a great writer. And you know what? King is King is typically the doorway drug to most horror readers. That's the way he was for me. I mean, I'll never forget the day I was 10 years old in the library, and I'd been reading all the Hardy Boys and the Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators and the Choose Your Own Adventures, and I wanted something more, and I wanted it over into the, the adult section, and I'm looking at all this stuff, and for some reason I gravitated towards Stephen King, and I saw Pet Cemetery, And when I pulled that down, it was like looking at, I don't know, some sort of mesmerizing album cover, <laughs> cover for that. It, it drew me in. It just, I'm seeing this guy, you know, the, the cat with its wickedness and then the, the, the Creed, you know, Lewis Creed taking the body up over the thing. I mean, oh my God. And when I read that, things never could be the same again. That, that was my, my gateway drug. It's a creepy story, and uh, I re- I love knowing the story behind the story. I, yeah. I like I love documentaries. I like biographies. Um, yeah. So when I first uh, started diving into Stephen King documentaries, I just ate up everyone I could online, and uh, he talked about Pet Cemetery, and he said I wrote it, put it in, and I could be incorrect about the exact amount of years i think he said he put it in his shelf for three years didn't touch it and he just didn't want to he was dead didn't want to deal with it i'm a new dad i don't know if i could write certain things at this point in my life you know so you know what's so great about that story and this is the thing that that gets me and you know there's something new i every time i read it, it something new hits me on it but here's the beauty of that story. The thing that destroys me the most is being a father and letting the scene unfold where Gage goes out into the road. How many times do you see where you're like, you root for someone to die? But when you saw that, you're screaming at the top of your mental lungs, no, don't go in the damn road. Yeah. And that, that. Oh my God, that destroyed me. Yeah, and um, I, it, Pat, you're not here yet, but having to explain to your own kids, like when you're scre- when you're yelling at them, when you're screaming at them, that you're not screaming at them because you're mad at them, but you're screaming at them because you're scared. Like that's you're the, right, that's the embodiment of that. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you haven't read that book at nine years old, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, at what point? Well, I mean, my kids. Almost, he's gonna be five months in like two weeks. I think I got a while. Like, how long do I have until that's the point where I'm screaming at him? Because right now, the kid makes me cry with happy tears. Well, when okay, he's up so, on two feet, uh, don't uh, keep him away from the road. So <laughs> it's as simple as that. Duh. <laughs> Duh. Pat. My bad. No, when that kid gets up on two feet and he's going. 
you're going to start worrying about shit you never even knew there was to worry about. You're going to worry about things like electrical sockets. Like, who worries about shit like that? When you become a dad and all of a sudden they're going over there trying to stick things in electrical light outlets, that's when you start worrying about shit. Shit you never <laughs> even knew was a problem. How it's many- true. There's, there's an entire section of the store that you don't know about yet that has, you know, plug covers and cabinet locks and stuff <laughs> like stuff you never knew you needed. Can I tell yeah, you guys so- something real quick about my house that's that was built in 1918? So, okay, I'll take the something that says a yes, and I'm just going to talk. <laughs> You've got our attention. Let's go. All right, sorry, my bad. So, I don't know why, but whenever whoever owned this house before me put in a lot, they were some kind of handy person, handy man, handy woman, not sure. Um, there are so many outlets that, and I'm I'm savvy with electrical. Uh, that's what I do for a living. I'm not an electrician. Uh, I am similar to one, but there are so many electrical outlets that on my stairwell, that is a normal size stairwell, there's 11 outlets on the stairwell alone. That's why? not normal. What, what, why? <laughs> so, and there were so many outlets for like computer, phone lines. In the basement, there's like, a, a, there's more than one breaker box, there's three. There's this other board that's meant for a bunch of phone lines. So my father-in-law, he's a sweet guy, but he's like, I think this was for, like, you know, a bunch of rooms. Each room was for, like, sex workers where they would just, like, you know, online and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, probably. (laughs) Maybe. That's quite a jump. It is quite the jump. So my point to all this is, yeah, I'm aware of the whole electrical outlet thing. All right. Well, here's the other thing that if you get a nervous wife, which my boy's mother, that's, you know, when we were married, she's, she's a nurse practitioner and she's a nervous person. You learned there's things out there that you never even knew. Like, for instance, there are wipes for pacifiers. No, I know about those now. <laughs> I, I never in a million years knew there was things like that. My wife told me, but I didn't know. Yeah, apparently there's wipes for pacifiers, and, and heaven forbid. So here's what happens. With your first kid, you know, you're sterilizing everything. The kid can't touch anything. You put them in a bubble, blah, 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 blah. By the time you have the second kid, that pacifier can fall into a steaming pile of dog shit, and you're, like, wiping it off on your pant leg, shoving <laughs> that back in the kid's mouth. That is fine. <laughs> Um, okay, I guess we'll have, have, uh, one kid in my life. <laughs> there you go. Smart man. <laughs> <laughs> Brennan's got my, kids. uh, my, my brother-in-law, when I, when my wife was pregnant with our second, my brother-in-law gave me this sage bit of advice, I guess. He said, uh, you know, you think it's going to be twice as much work, but that's not right. It's more like 10. <laughs> yeah. The math doesn't add up, but <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> so our right. listeners, can't see it, but I—I I mean, I can see the photo behind you. It looks like you got like five kids. Okay, so I've got two of my own, and then Kathy has two. So there's a total of four. The math is off. The math is off. <laughs> it's okay. You're, you're drinking too much. <laughs> now the thing is, is we have them. Um, 
every other week. So they're on the same weeks. So one week we'll have four kids here bouncing around and beating the living shit out of each other. And then we have a week off. And then a week on and a week off. So honestly, it works out really good because by the time you have that week, the end of that week with the kids here, you need a little bit of a break. So it works out really nice. Okay, how the fuck do you run a publishing company? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, good question. I do a lot of work on the week they're not here. <laughs> like, we're talking right now, and in my head I'm thinking, like, for me personally, I've got, I've got, and it's not a lot compared to a guy like Jim McLeod or Sadie Hartman. Like, to me, they're the, they're the god and goddesses of, of horror viewing. But I got like 40 reviews piled up in my email, and I'm thinking, fuck, I gotta get to them, and I haven't even told my contributors that I have gotten those email. like, what am I doing? But I'm making time for this, right. obviously. Why not? Because you're Ken McKinley. <laughs> so, no, seriously. My, my question is, like, how do you prioritize? Oh, um, some of the days, not really well. <laughs> I tried to split the day up. So, you're going to laugh at those. So, there's days, most days what I try to do is... I try to get my motor running, and how I do that is I start going through emails, you know, because I've always got, so here's the thing, when you're a publisher, and I live, live in the Midwest, um, still Eastern Standard Time, but you're going to get emails from other parts of the country, so I get emails from Australia, I've got three British authors, um, you're getting emails 24-7, so there's always something to answer. So I, I'll go through those. Um, right now, thank goodness, we just closed the doors on the, the submissions for Midnight and the Pentagram. But I mean, I literally was getting, I was literally getting 10 to 15 a day. And I'm like, like, oh my God. Every time my phone would go off, I'm like, oh, there's another one. Ding. Oh, there's another one. And then I would be stupid and I would put a post out there. Hey, you've only got like a week left. And then, holy shit. It was this, and like... An hour, I would get like 20 submissions. It's like, uh, so you, you gotta prioritize. Um, let's see. Excel is your friend. Spreadsheets are a wonderful thing. Um, Kenneth Kane, you know, I, I kiss his ass about how good he is for me, but it's all worthwhile. Trust me. This guy keeps me on the straight and narrow. He reminds me of shit that I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I got it. Oh, you know, that's so it. You know, you do a lot of work from your phone. You do a lot, a lot of work from your, your iPad. You're, you're constantly connected. Um, you want to talk about the crackheads. I feel like I'm a crackhead when it comes to electronics. And uh, just to hog, like, the questions before I go to Brennan. And I'm sorry for hogging all the questions. But I've, I'm curious. Like, as a publisher, you got open submissions year-round. So yeah, when you see what. That's not why I'm saying this. When you make a call, do you get the majority of your submissions at the, like, 11th hour? Um, Okay, so I've, since day one, I've had old submissions for novels and novellas. So that just kind of trickles in. Right. Um, When it came, so Midnight in the Graveyard was 100% um, invitation only. So I didn't get any for that. 
I I got people inquiring about it, and I you know send back to this or you know this is invitation only, blah 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 blah. blah. Um, Midnight in the Pentagram has been a new beast. I I opened that up for open submission back in October, just right after two weeks after we launched Midnight in the Graveyard. I I introduced that and did open submission. Um, we got a nice little chunk in the beginning. Then it would trickle in about, oh, I would get anywhere from 5 to 10 a day, typically. And then every time I would make a post about, hey, don't forget, blah, 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 then I would get like a, a whole plethora of them. And then this last week, it has been, holy shit, <laughs> steamrolled with them. It, it was, and a lot of them, you know, were... Some that I had invited that I never even thought they even paid attention to us. Like, for instance, Graham Masterton. I didn't think this guy Wait. was even on our radar. Holy I shit. Stuff. What? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know that? Give me a sec. Let me go to my bookshelf. Hold up. Keep talking. Good <laughs> Lord. What kind of reviewer is this guy? He doesn't even know what I've got going on. No, I saw you uh, announce Graham Masterton just a couple days ago. Yeah. That's pretty so, exciting. <laughs> yeah, so I sent stuff out to him and to a handful of other like A A listers and stuff. I won't name any names, but you know, they were all of them are very polite or I had to go through their agents and they would say that sorry, but you know, they're busy, they're you know, they've got like the next year already planned up and it's when you're an A lister, that's what happens. Everybody wants your attention. But Graham said I'm not even sure what Graham said, but for some reason, I, I didn't think he was even interested in it. And then, lo and behold, like, a week before the ending, he sends me in this one, and he's like, hope this will work for you. And I read it, like, holy shit, this is good stuff. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you, you you keep building your name. What a fucking nightmare you're going to have on your hands next year with uh, next year's Midnight in Anthology. <laughs> well, uh, I hear that's a good problem to have, but you know. I, I would think so. So, uh, I, I, do, do, have you thought about that uh, at all? What the next midnight would be? Uh, yes. It's in the back of your mind. Not ready to uh, share it yet. It's more in the front of my mind. I've already got it kind of mapped out a little bit on what we're gonna do. We're gonna do another midnight in the graveyard. Um, ghost. So here, okay. Everybody's like, "Well, how'd you do that?" Or why'd you Wait, pick that, that the title? Intro? What's that? Is that the title? Is what a title? You just said we're doing another Midnight in the Graveyard. Yeah, there'll be like a Midnight in the Graveyard 2. Oh, no shit. Okay. Yeah. So, kind of like how... Okay, I'll, I'll give you one here. Um, Charles L. Grant did Shadows. He did Shadows Shadows 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 on yeah. online. That, that's probably what we'll do with that, but we'll probably have a little bit of fun with it. Kind of like, you know the Friday the 13th type of stuff where it's like, you know, Jason lives type of thing. We'll, we'll come up with a story. That's my favorite. Moniker. So you better not talk shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love part six. Dude. Oh, wait, that's a great one. No, no, that is a good one. My favorites. I mixed it up. My favorite is the stupidest one of them all. No, it's not. Space one. No, that's the dumbest one. The second dumbest one is my favorite. Jason goes to Manhattan. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's such oh, a bad movie, but it's no, so that's good. too bad. <laughs> look, look at my shirt. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was a good one. 
And it, it was great how it just continued. It was like, it's like Halloween 2. It's fucking good. It's yeah. a classic. Yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan of Friday the 13th Part 2. It doesn't get enough love. It's a great movie. Well, you like you like Halloween 3 better, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I like Halloween 3, but it should have been just called Season of the Witch. It shouldn't have been. No, no, no. Let me, let me rephrase that. So what should have happened? was they should have made it like how John Carpenter originally intended it. John Carpenter wanted to make it so each Halloween came out with a new Halloween-themed movie. So Halloween 2 was supposed to be kind of like how Season of the Witch was. And then it was supposed to be everything was revolving around the Halloween uh, holiday. Right. You come up with a new story every year told around Halloween, released from that. And then you you go on with sequels and stuff like that. But each Halloween was well the studios got involved and they said, no, we want to make some money and they grabbed on to Michael Myers and made part two without any blessing from John Carpenter. Real quick, can I interrupt you and show you what I got from my bookshelf? Uh no. This is my podcast, you can do what I tell you. <laughs> it's your podcast, <laughs> what you wanna do. I don't give a fuck. I don't even know nothing. What? Who am I? Uh, yeah. So Graham Masterson, I got. Uh, yeah, uh, I have actually. I got a big bookshelf. I haven't read this yet, but I know it's from 1988. It looks awesome. And you just said his name. I'm like, okay, I got one of his books. That's it. I know that people can't see it that are listening to this, but it's a badass cover. That Master Nissan, Master Ten has some badass covers. Now, for those that aren't familiar, you need to go back and look at his back catalog. This guy has churned out a shit ton of books. I bet he's got 60 books. It's crazy how many books he's got. Now, do you know where Masterson came from? No. I, I thought he was British, but maybe I'm wrong. He is British, but he was like one of the editors of uh, Penthouse Magazine. I didn't know that. Yeah. And wow. he's got, he's got, like, he originally started with, like, how-to sex books. <laughs> Wait. Okay. First question. How do I have sex? I haven't had a kid yet. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I hear that. No. <laughs> Step one. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no, go yeah, ahead. So we were talking about Grim Masterson and his beginning. His beginning. So yeah, he started out with Penthouse, and like I said, he, he came out with like these how-to sex books, and they were huge bestsellers in the seventies. And then he evolved out of that into horror, and the guy is—he's got a huge catalog. I mean, he's—he's he's really big in, in in Britain. I mean. I can't say enough about him. He's really good. Oh, okay. Sorry. It sounded like you were going to say more. Um, Yeah, but uh, it kind of makes me curious. Like, yeah, first off, how the fuck didn't I know that he was part of, like, a future Silver Shamrock publishing? Uh, Secondly, is he going to be someone that you do publish back catalog books of? 
You know I can't answer questions like that. Oh, God damn it, Pat. Why the <laughs> fuck are you asking dumb questions? Hey, so let's ask a good question. Brennan, do you have any good questions? <laughs> actually, actually, Ken, I was gonna, I, I, I was gonna steer you back towards why we brought you on here in the first place. So, like I, like I mentioned in the first place, um, we're we're recording this uh, right at the beginning of April. So, Cle- Seven Cleopatra Hills coming out in a few days. Do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I'm looking at my list of shit you have planned through November 17th, and I've got 17 books in front of me, which is and. and, and well, and that's that's not hyperbole, like the first estimate. That's it's legitimately seventeen books. So, Ken, you want to talk about some of the things you've got coming out uh, between now and even Devil's Creek? Is is that's a lot? <laughs> oh God, damn! Devil's Creek looks so fucking good. <laughs> you got to get on Devil's Creek. It is a lot of people are comparing that to like a, a Salem's Lot type of thing, where it's all encompassing, small town, just crazy epic horror. And listen. Todd did an amazing job with that. So it's that one is it's already we've already we just started pre-orders on this thing like yesterday, and we are selling this thing lights out. the The hype on this is well worth it, and it is it's doing really well. So yes, Devil's Creek, June sixteenth. That one's coming up. The next one after. Alright, I gotta think about this. Wait, June I, don't have 16th? The list. I thought it was the sixth. I think it's is uh, it? you you've got it down as June sixteenth. That that got it sixty. God Pat, damn it, Pat, shut up. Alright, drink <laughs> another beer. How many of you right. Sorry, Ken. <laughs> it took your totally Again, that magic number was seventeen. Thirty seven so, dicks. So, so, so so Pat, I'll I'll take you through since I have you know words in front of me. Um, <laughs> I, I'll tell you right now, Ken. I'm about uh, three quarters of the way through Seven Cleopatra Hill. It's fantastic. Um, I, I I love the element that gets introduced. I'd say probably a little before fifty percent. Uh, it's it's just it's really cool, and I did not see it coming uh, from the beginning. Um, that's definitely one that people are gonna want to check out. Uh, the other cool thing is the last, I wouldn't even guess at it, but you've, you've done a lot of novellas. Seven Cleopatra Hills, a little more full length. Um, and then on the 21st, you've got Dark Choir coming out. Tell us about that. Okay, so Dark Choir is from Paul Mel. Uh, it's not just you. <laughs> He definitely lagged out. I'm I'm gonna cut this part out, Brennan. So say whatever you want, man. Okay, I got nothing. I got nothing either. I don't know what happened to Ken. <laughs> <laughs> He's frozen in front of his lovely family picture. <laughs> God damn. Uh, yeah. I I see it too. He's like. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I heard, like I said, dude, I'm cutting this shit out, obviously. Um, I'm pretty sure I heard you, like, breathing, but then I heard Ken, and I was so confused for a minute. And nope. I lost. He's, he's apparently completely gone, so. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but I he's still. I was going to say, he's still on the call as far as I'm concerned, so. I can call him back. Hey, give it a go. 
We'll say, Ken, you here, bro? <laughs> I'm five beers deep, dude, and I'm such a lightweight, but I would say... <laughs> you should have stopped at three, then. <laughs> yeah. I never do this. Um, huh. Pretty sure he's gone. All right, I'm going to remove him from call, and then I am going to call him back. And hopefully he doesn't get mad at me. <laughs> hey, there he is. Dude, I am so sorry. No worries, man. Yeah, my stuff went dead, and you should have, if you would have been here just a couple minutes ago, you'd have seen this moron go running through the house to grab a charger real fast. Can you look like this? Yeah, I'm like, I'm sitting here babbling on, I'm looking at the screen, all of a sudden I'm like, hey, where'd everybody go? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm going to cut all that out. I Look, it's not worth keeping that in the podcast or the Sorry. episode. No, no, wait, if you want to pick up, you were you were just about to launch into... Uh, Seven Cleopatra. Nope, we got that one. Um, you can launch in to start uh, to talking about Dark Fire, and I think Pat, with his magical editing abilities, can make it absolutely seamless. Oh, <laughs> okay. yeah, hopefully. Awesome. All yep. right. All right, go so, ahead. All right, so Dark Choir from a British author by the name of Paul Melhuish, and he's kind of a new author. Um, you know, I read his manuscript, and it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, this story is... Again, it's a familiar trope, but there's such a uniqueness to it. And I don't want to, you know, give any spoilers and stuff out, but there's like an asylum, which I'm a huge fan of. I love things taking place in asylums. Um, there's like this crazy choir thing going on. It's, it, it's a haunting tale that totally spoke to me. So yeah, it's, you know, we're, that one's going to be the next one. After that is going to be uh, another first-time author, name of Charlotte Platt. She is from the absolute northern tip of Scotland, and hers is going to be a uh, urban fantasy, which is going to be our kind of our first foray into the fantasy realm. So I'm excited about that one. And then from there, we've got a collaboration with. Uh, Summer Cannon and Wesley Southern. And this one, um, I, again, I don't want to give too much away, but the premise of this story is so unique that when I read it, I just got super excited. I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta have this. And I, I literally accepted this thing halfway through the story. And I, no, I never do that. I never send uh, contracts and stuff out until I've completely read everything through. I was halfway through and I'm like, I, I can't stop. So I just literally <laughs> sent it over there to him. I was so excited about it. You're, you're definitely a horror fan. Like you're <laughs> <laughs> like, no, look like this is, I'm not knocking anyone. Like CB hunts fucking awesome. She's great to talk to. Um, She's the only one that pops instantly to my mind right now who's a publisher in the indie horror scene. Oh, Joe Meinhardt. Oh, I love that guy. Why did I not oh. think of him? Joe Meinhardt is forever someone I will love because he published the first and only two stories by me. I fucking love that guy. But um, I know it starts with being a fan of the genre you publish. 
but you, there's, I'm not kissing your ass because I'm talking to you, but, like, there's something, not to knock anybody else, I really, truly do love everyone else in this industry that I consider a friend or associate, and you just, there's something different about you and your publisher, uh, your publishing company. I, I don't know how to pinpoint it, but it seems like if I were a fan, this is how I would run it. But you have a business sense about you. And Todd Kieslin actually did touch upon that in um uh, earlier episode in Inkeist. So I, I don't really have a question about this besides you're living the dream and how does it feel? And I think you answered that already, but do you mind expanding on that? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's... I love it. I, I can't get enough of it. I live, breathe, drink, sleep, everything about horror, and I love reading horror fiction. Um, it's my favorite thing in the world to do. And the fact that I'm able to publish people that I absolutely worshipped, I mean, you got to pinch me. It's it's a dream come true. It really is. There has a, you know, I've said this before, and I know it sounds cliche, but it is so accurate. I have not had one bad day as a publisher. It has been an absolute blast. I am completely honored and humbled by the people that have entrusted me with their work. Um, everything from the first time author all the way up to the mechanics of the world. It just, it means the world to me that they, they see something that they want to be a part of. Um, it's great, and I, I, I want to bust my hump to make sure that I do everything possible to get their name out there so people know that, you know. So here's the thing. With the whole publishing world, there's a glut of, of books out there. I mean, everywhere you look, it, it's, it's hard to capture someone's attention. So you literally got to be on your game to make sure that you are doing everything possible to get top-of-mind awareness for these authors. And that's my goal. You know, my my author, and I know, again, this sounds like I'm kissing their ass, it's cliche, but without them, I'm nothing. I want to bust my ass for them and make it so I'm above and beyond the others. Because, again, I am a new publisher. I mm. feel that I'm still proving myself. Mm. And that's what I want to do. I want to make it so people know the, these authors inside and out. And the only way to do that is to get it out there. Yeah, man. And the, the, the upcoming list, you know, between uh, newer people like you uh, mentioned, Paul Melhuish, uh, you know, established people in the game right now, like uh, Wesley Southard and Summer Cannon, um, and, and, and even, you know, people who you're republic, um, yeah, republishing, like uh, Gord Rollo and Alan Leverone. Um, it's, it's, it's a super good mix coming up. We, we took it to uh, Slaves to Gravity with uh, Wes Southerd, um, which I think uh, I've got it written down. That comes out in July. Uh, and, and there's like 10 books after that. But you know, if we talk about those now, we've got no excuse to bring it back in a few months. So we'll have to leave those up in the air. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm super excited about the lineup. Um, you know, like you said, it's, it's a good mix. It's a selfish mix on my part. I'm publishing the people that I want to publish. I'm publishing the people that I have admired for quite some time. And then I'm also publishing the people that have captured my attention by 
the amazingly powerful writing that they do. And I sit there and I scratch my head. Why aren't these people already published? So, yeah, it's it's the best of all worlds. I mean, again, I pinch myself. It's such a great time. The uh, selfish approach seems to be working for you, though. So if it ain't broke, <laughs> then fix it. Well, good, because being selfish is fun. <laughs> good, because I'm going to do it anyway. Ken, we've had a fantastic time talking to you. We could talk a lot longer, but I think we're reaching the two-hour mark. And uh, I'm not sure who else would listen to two hours. I would, but I can't speak for the majority of people. Um, I'm just curious. Uh, is there any last or final words that you would like to say? Um, Sorry, I couldn't quite hear you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Not sure why Siri just went off while I was talking and did not say her code word. To uh, secretly kill someone. <laughs> um, do I have any last or final words? Uh, my to, last yeah, word. before you die by my cell phone, apparently. <laughs> my last and final <laughs> words are, listen, indie horror is stronger now than ever. There are amazingly good authors about there. Obviously, I'd love for everybody to read Silver Shamrock stuff, but don't stop there. Get out there and get reading and get knowledgeable on it. There is so much more outside of Stephen King. And I'm here to tell you, you're never going to have a bored day. So, you know, champion that horror. True words have never been spoken. So where can follow – let's restart. Where can people follow you? They can follow me on all of the nice social media. We have our Silver Shamrock page on Facebook. On Twitter, we're actually listed backwards, which I was noted. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Shamrock Silver, or Shamrock underscore Silver on Twitter. We are also on Instagram, and you can also check out all of the latest information, book boxes and all that good stuff at Shamrock or SilverShamrockPublishing.com. <laughs> Ken, well, that's uh, if you get it wrong, then, you know, the rest of us are fine. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, it's truly a pleasure talking to you, and honestly, the next time you want to talk on this podcast, just let me know. Don't let Brandon know. We'll do Guys, it. Guys, it, it's been a hoot. You know what? It's it's great to talk with people that are passionate about this as I am. You can knock on my door anytime, and I'll, I'll beat yours down, too. I mean, I, I love it. Thanks a lot, guys. It really means a lot. Absolutely. Hey, have a good night, and be safe during this coronavirus, man. Hey. You do the same. I'm going to try to drink that virus away. So <laughs> Pat's already done it. He's taking uh, care yeah. of it for all of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. Have a good night. All right, Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving. Deadhead space.